Do you praise God for what he's done in your life? Man, I know I praise him for what he's done in my life. Amen. Hey, did you like that? Tonight at 6 o'clock in this very room, we're going to have a night of worship. We're going to have a choir and orchestra. We're going to have the, the kids' choir. It's going to be a big night, and we're going to worship Jesus tonight at 6 o'clock. I hope and pray that you will be here. Also, June the 5th is coming quick, our Backyard Kids Club. And immediately after this service, Whitney is going to host a lunch for all those who have signed up to help in our BKCs. And listen, we still need help. And I want to encourage you, if, if you would pray about even considering being a part of our BKC ministry to reach families with the gospel of Jesus, I want to encourage you to go to the fellowship hall after this service, enjoy a good meal, it won't cost you a dime, and sign up and be a part of this wonderful BKC ministry. Well, I want you to take your Bible. As you know, we're, we've been in a series for quite a while entitled Thinking Straight in a Crooked World. We're going verse by verse through Genesis chapter 1 through 11, which I think has some of the most consequential truths and doctrines that you'll find anywhere in such a, a small part of the Bible. Today, we're going to look at knowing God, knowing God. Now, for the last several weeks, we've been focused on Noah and the flood. And as you remember, uh, the, the world had gotten so rotten and corrupt that God decided that he was going to pour out his wrath on the human race and the world and destroy everything that had the breath of life, save Noah and his family and representative animals and birds and creeping things that were part of the ark. Now, when... The ark finally landed on the mountains of Ararat. Noah and his family stepped out into a new world. Everything was different. There were no landmarks that he could recognize. The world, the topography of the earth had shifted and changed tremendously. The home that they enjoyed was gone. Many of the friends that they maybe a fellowship with or had dinner with were gone. Everything was different. It was a new day with the opportunity for a new beginning. In a Peanuts cartoon, Lucy and Linus are staring out the window watching it rain. The conversation goes like this. Lucy said, boy, look at it pour. What if it floods the whole world? Linus said, it won't. In Genesis chapter 9, God promised Noah that would never happen again. The sign of that promise is the rainbow. Lucy, turning back to Linus, said with a big smile, You've taken a great load off my mind, Linus. And Linus says, sound, sound theology has a way of doing that. Now, we can learn a lot from Linus. You see, knowing God is vitally important for every person within the sound of my voice. 
J.I. Packer wrote this, I quote, we are cruel to ourselves if we try to live in this world without knowing about the God whose world it is and who runs it. The world becomes a strange, mad, painful place and life in it a disappointing and unpleasant business for those who do not know about God. Disregard the study of God and you sentence yourself to stumble and blunder through life blindfolded, as it were, with no sense of direction and no understanding of what surrounds you. Now, with the thoughts of these great theologians, Linus and J.I. Packer, firmly fixed in our minds, let's look at Genesis chapter 9, and we're going to give attention to the first 17 verses of this chapter. Now, these verses are all about God. I want you to understand that Noah says nothing. Noah does nothing. The entire scope of these 17 verses is about God and what God is saying and what God is doing. That's why I believe that the, 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 the meaning of these 17 verses is to expose us to who God is so that we can know God in a very real way. Now look, I want us to look today at three things. Number one, I want us to see God blessing falling, fallen man. God blessing fallen man. In Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, it's interesting, in chapter 8, verse 1, the Bible says that God remembered Noah. And in chapter 9, verse 1, the Bible says, and God blessed Noah. Now, this first verse may sound familiar to you. In fact, take your Bible and flip back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. The Bible, well, start verse 27. Genesis 1, 27 God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. And we're going to see in a moment why that's so important. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So now the Bible says that God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now I want you to understand that Noah and his family did not escape the wrath of God's judgment and the worldwide flood because they were perfect, because they had no sin in their lives. They escaped because God looked at Noah and God had favor upon Noah because Noah loved God and Noah believed God. He believed what God said. And therefore, they were able out of all the population of the world to get in the ark and to escape God's judgment. Notice God told them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Listen, 
If you ever wondered if God really loves the family and has put his stamp of approval upon the family as God defines it, I want you to know this is an evidence of it right here. God said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, you can only do that as families. Let me tell you, God loves the family. And I would encourage every young person within the sound of my voice to pay close attention to what the Bible says about the family. You're hearing all kind of stuff from the world. And I'll tell you, friend, listen to me very carefully. If you want to know the truth about the family, go to the Bible. Make sure that the Bible is your final source for faith and practice. The thing I want to point out to you here, it just jumped off the page to me. It is in spite of all of the the rebellion and corruption of a world that forgot about God and absolutely rejected God in utter rebellion, I want you to know that God's purposes were never hindered. Let me tell you, God is sovereign, and God is going to make sure that his will is going to be done regardless of how many godless infidels stand up and shake their fist in the face of God or say things that are totally contradictory to his word. God's will will be done. I promise you that. Look at verses 2 to 4. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Now the animal kingdom... Before the flood, uh, had really no fear of man because it was like Adam and Eve could go sit down with a Bengal tiger and, and, and pet the Bengal tiger. I'm, I'm serious, folks. But after the flood, things changed. So many things changed with the flood. The topography of the earth changed. Everything changed with the flood. And now we see that God said the sovereign Creator God said, from now on, from now on, the fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. They are given dominion over these animals. Now listen, have you ever wondered why the animals were so cooperative in going into the ark? Well, obviously, God can do any, anything he, can want, he wants to do. God could give them a migration tendency to have the ones that he wanted on the ark to get in the ark. And it could be that they were so cooperative because there was such a, 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 a fellowship between the animal kingdom and the human kingdom. In the original creation account, In chapter 1, verse 29 to 30, the Bible clearly states that God gave plants for both the humans and the animals to eat. Understand that meat had not been eaten prior to the flood. A change occurred with the flood. And God authorized people to 
kill animals for food, to raise animals for food. And this is a new aspect of man's dominion over the order of creation as it exists in a fallen world. You do know we live in a fallen world, right? People ask, well, how can good th- bad things happen to good people? Well, you, number one, you've got to ask your definition of good. Number two, you've got to realize that we live in a fallen world. Things, there are diseases there, are, there is death, there is terrorism, there is crime. Things happen that are totally, it will blow your mind. This kind of stuff happens in a fallen world. But if you're a born-again believer, you need to realize that the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, that the sufferings of this time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that we will experience in the presence of Jesus forever in heaven. That's the hope of the gospel. Now look at verse 4. The Bible says, only you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. Now, blood was the source and symbol of an animal's life. Therefore, it was to be considered significant. The Creator God wanted to instill in mankind the importance of the blood. What's amazing, you go over to Acts chapter 15, and when there was a, a, a debate between Paul and the leaders of the church in Jerusalem about the gospel Paul was preaching. They went and they had a a conference together and the the leaders of the church in Jerusalem made several stipulations, nothing about the gospel Paul preached, but they said, one thing we ask of you, stay away from immorality and don't eat things with its blood. They're still talking about it in the first century. It's amazing. Now look, in these first four verses, we see God blessing Noah, his family, and the human race in general. But I want us to look at this next section. Number two, God preserving fallen man. God preserving fallen man man. Look at verses 5 and 6. Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast I will require it and from every man and from every man's brother I will will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood by man his blood shall be shed for in the image of God he made man. One of the raging debates in our culture today revolves around the sanctity of life. Listen, you you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out as you watch news and as you see things happen around us that life in America is totally devalued. People don't value life in America. And there's so many murders and killings and abortions. I think, what, 73 million babies have been aborted. It's amazing. The bloodshed that's on the hands of people in America. 
Do you know the Bible says in the book of Numbers that when there's bloodshed, it pollutes the land. I'll tell you, America is polluted. America has offended the living and holy God. Let me tell you, God places value upon human life from the womb to the tomb. In Psalm 139, verse 13 to 16, the Bible said, For you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. Well, who wove who in the mother's womb? God, the creator God, took that little embryo, that, that, that fertilized egg of the, the, the woman, fertilized by the sperm of a man, and, and God wove that baby in the mother's womb. And the Bible goes on to say, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. And your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in your book were written all the, were written the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. God values all human life. That simply means that that baby in the womb is a creation of God. And that baby in the womb, life is sacred. You know why? Because that baby, even in the womb, was created in the image of God. Everybody in this room was created in the image of God. Let me tell you, the homeless person strung out on drugs in San Francisco was created in the image of God. The black person was created in the image of God. The white person was created in the image of God. The Native American was created in the image of God. Russians were created in the image of God. Chinese were created in the image of God. By the way, there's only one race. You know that, don't you? We all go... Come, we all derive our, our, our history from Adam. Let me tell you something, folks. God says life is sacred. And that's true worldwide. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? It means that you were created, you were created with the ability to know God to have a relationship with God, to respond to God. Your little puppy dog can't do that. Your little puppy dog cannot have a relationship with God. Your little puppy dog can't raise their paws and worship God like we worship God this morning. It's impossible because animals were not created in the image of God, but you were created in the image of God. That makes your life special to God. I want you to see here that God authorized capital punishment. I know that I'm saying some things today that flies in the face of our culture. But I, I'm going to tell you what, I would rather be on God's side than on the culture side any day. I, I've discovered that if I please God, it doesn't matter who I displease. If I dis displease God, it doesn't matter who I please. 
So make, make sure that you're on the right side of this thing when everything comes to an end and you stand before God one day. Make sure you're on the right side. God authorized capital punishment for the animal who took a human life and for the human who takes another human's life. That's why God established civil government. In Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, Paul wrote, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear, look at this, it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Let me tell you, the sovereign creator God made a ruling that the government has a right to end a person's life who commits murder. You know why? Because the blood of that person is precious to God. You go throughout the Bible You'd be surprised the number of times blood is used in the Bible. It's used over and over again. And we know that when it comes to the gospel, we know that we are cleansed from sin by what? The blood of Jesus. Peter said the blood of Jesus is precious. More precious than silver or gold or anything you can imagine. So here's another vital truth that I want you to lock into your mind and heart. God values the sanctity of human life because he is just. He is just. Now, what's, what amazes me is you can encounter people in your everyday life who know nothing about God, and yet they will realize that you are a Christian and they'll come against you and they will slander your God because they say it's God who causes wars. It's God who causes disease. It's God who causes my mama to die. It's God who causes all this stuff. Let me tell you, friend, we live in a fallen world. If Adam and Eve had obeyed God, we wouldn't be having these problems today. God is a just God. And he's going to make sure in the end that justice, perfect justice, is carried out. Now look at verse 7. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Again, for the sake of emphasis, the command to repopulate the earth is issued and God is placing his stamp of approval upon the family as God defines the family. 
In Psalm 127, verse 3, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So in the first four verses, we see God blessing fallen man. In verses 5 to 7, we see God preserving fallen man. And in, in verses 8 to 17, we see, number three, God loving fallen man. And so God expounds on the concept of covenant. He promises this covenant before the flood. In Genesis chapter 6, verse 18, God said to Noah, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Now, a full 120 years later, God moves to establish the covenant. Now, we spoke last, the last time, uh, last week, about the importance of patience, uh, of being patient, of, of waiting on God. And Noah had to wait 120 years for this covenant to go into effect. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 8 through 10, the Bible says, Then God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, Now behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you. The time had come. The 120 years had passed. And now it was time for the covenant. Verse 10 and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, and all that comes out of the ark, and even every beast of the earth. The covenant that God, the Noah, the Noah covenant is not only for Noah and his family and human beings, it's also for animals and the beast of the earth. Now, what is a covenant? A covenant is simply an agreement between two parties. In this passage, we find that God made a covenant with Noah and the entire human race and even the animal. John MacArthur said this, I quote, listen to this, no other covenant in force applies to all humanity. The priestly covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant, they don't apply to all humanity. This is the only one that applies to everybody everywhere. This one, listen now, is the basis of common grace. This is the covenant that is the basis of God's goodness to all humanity. Look at verse 11. God says, I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water of the flood, neither shall there again be a flood to destroy the earth. God promised that he would never again destroy the earth or the people on the earth with a flood. Furthermore, in Genesis 8:22, God promised that he would maintain a stable world. Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. This is a unilateral covenant. God makes this covenant with Noah and the human race and even the animal kingdom. 
It's a universal covenant. It applies to the whole world, and it's an unconditional covenant. It's not where, well, Noah, you got to obey me three out of every four commands that I give you. No, that's not the way it works. Noah didn't have to do anything, nothing. It's a unilateral covenant. It's an unconditional covenant. Look at verses 12 to 15. God said, this is a sign of the covenant which I'm making between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud, that's the rainbow, and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which, I, which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. Now the rainbow, contrary to modern culture. The rainbow is a sign of God's mercy extended to the crown of his creation, the human race. And isn't it amazing how the devil steals the sign of the covenant with Noah and uses it for his evil benefit? But that's what the devil's been doing from the very beginning. Let me tell you something, friend. I hope and pray that every student, every child, every adult within the sound of my voice, when you think of the rainbow, I want you to think of God's covenant with Noah. That's what it's about. Now, it's interesting. The word rainbow in the Hebrew language literally means war bow, war bow. The, the kind of bow that they would use in wartime to shoot arrows at their enemies. And it's interesting that God says that he is hanging his bow in the cloud. And interesting, the arc of the bow is upward, not downward to the earth. And there is no arrow with the bow. You know what God's saying? He said, God's saying to the human race, you can trust me. I promise you, I will never again destroy the earth or the people of the earth with a flood. That's the prime function of a covenant sign is to reassure us. In Revelation chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, the Bible says, After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing it opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after these things. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven, and one sitting on the throne. Now look at verse 3. And he who was sitting was like a jasper stone and a sardius in appearance. And there was a, a what? a rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. The rainbow around the throne of God pictures the completeness of his mercy and the completeness of his glory. Oh, my goodness. Look at verse 16 and 17. When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth, 
And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Here's another truth that I want you to, to really lock into your heart. God is a merciful, covenant-keeping God. Aren't you glad of that? Linus was right when he said to Lucy that good theology really does have a way of taking a lot of thought and worry off our minds. That's why the point of this message is so critical. And here's the point. So in the form of a question, do you know God? Do you know God? Today we've seen God blessing fallen man, God preserving fallen man, and God loving fallen man. Do you know God? Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24 says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, and let not the mighty man boast of his might. Let not a rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. There are three things you've got to know here. God's sovereign. God is just. And God is merciful. If you're here today and you have never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, I want to say something to you. It may shock you. You are in great danger. You're in great danger. You say, Pastor, what in the world are you talking about? I'm not in danger. Well, listen to John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. Have you believed in Jesus as your Savior? Oh, I hope and pray that everybody within the sound of my voice has. But you know, the chances are there's there's some within the sound of my voice who have not believed in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And you do not have the gift of eternal life. Look at the last part of that verse. It says, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Listen, if, you, if you're not a believer in this room, right now the wrath of God abides on you. The same fury of God's wrath that was unleashed at the worldwide flood hangs over your head like a foreboding storm cloud, ready to burst at any moment. I wish I could tell you that you've got plenty of time. I wish I could tell you that you could, you could peg the day when it will be your last opportunity and you could get saved at this moment, that moment, but I can't tell you that. I'll tell you this, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. And I want to invite you to turn from your sins and place your faith in the Lord Jesus who loved you and was willing to give his body and his blood on the cross of Calvary to pay the penalty for your sins so that you could be forgiven. And he was raised from the dead. He's alive 
He can change your life this morning. He can save you and forgive you and remove your sins from you as far as the east is from the west this morning. But you've got to believe in him. I'm going to invite our worship team and our staff to come. We're going to give you a chance to respond to Jesus this morning in saving faith. While they're coming, I want to say a brief word to those who are believers in this room. Maybe you've drifted away from the Lord. Maybe you're not as close to him as you once were. I'm going to read a passage of scripture to you. It's in Isaiah chapter 55. Listen to this. I want you to know that God's not giving up on you. You're part of his family. He loves you. And in Isaiah chapter 55, Verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord. You can return to the Lord this morning. You say, Pastor, I've gone so far away. I've, I've done so many things that I'm so ashamed of. Tell you, God loves you. And he'll forgive you. But you've got to be willing to confess it and forsake it. Let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God. Oh, I'm going to invite some of you to come to this altar this morning and just bow before the Lord and ask him to forgive you and cleanse you. And bring back the joy of your salvation. He'll do it. But you got, you got to be serious about it. Maybe you're looking for a church home. A place that you can call your church. I want to invite you to come to one of our staff members. If you want to be saved, go to a staff member. If you want to become a part of the church, go to a staff member. If you want to come to the altar and pray and get right with God, you come. Hey, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I know that this scripture teaches us that one of the most important things we can do in our lives is to know you. To know that you're merciful. To know that you're just. And to know, to know, Lord, that you are sovereign. Oh, God in heaven, move in our hearts. Change our lives. Help us to obey the Holy Spirit at this moment. In Jesus' name.